Okay. Blog Talk Radio. Stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want again I'm locked up in memories they all in a twine memory living in my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3095, 3095. I'm Carol Levine, I'm Vice President of NASCA, and you get to hear my wonderful voice tonight, which is now 90% okay. (laughs) I'm getting over the flu, but I am here. Now, we have a wonderful guest tonight, and um, her name is Sandra Holdorf, and she's from Ohio. She's an adult survivor of childhood sexual, physical, and mental abuse from an alcoholic parent. I'm going to have her start to tell her story in a second, but I do want to read the mission statement. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do two different ways we do this. Number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And believe me, it does in more ways than you even realize. Um, Offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, usually when I speak about prevention, of the three, they're all very important. I zone in on prevention because I do believe that if parents who really care about their children want to do a good job, if they were more educated about the red flags of all different kinds of things that plague our world today, and has been for many, many years, probably since the beginning of time, but things are getting worse, okay? If they could spot those red flags and teach their children about the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I put it, um, maybe, just maybe, some of those statistics that we're facing today would go down because we would have educated children, okay? And I know of some cases where children were spoken to by their parents and they were about ready to get picked up. Oh, yes, they were. And guess what? They got out of it. Yes, they did because they knew what to do. So this is very, very important. Um, Then, of course, we have intervention, and that is how you learn to speak to your children. I want to mention our, our website, that's www.nasca.org, that's nasca.org. On our website, um, when you open it up, you'll see that we have red blocks. I do mention the red blocks. I do that for a reason, 
because each block has a different title in it, okay, a different topic to speak about and to learn. And over to the right-hand side, uh, not the very last block, but the block before that is about prevention, intervention, and recovery, how to speak to your children so you can help them to become safer. It's no longer um, good enough to teach your children how to cross the street. It's good to teach them to do that. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Or to tell them about who's going to come flying out from behind the bush or something and offer them candy. We have to teach them the proper way of the type of world in which we live because the amount of children who are being sexually abused um, every day, every month, every year is astounding. I'm going to leave it at that. It's astounding. So I think we have to do a better job at being a parent. And even on our website, it teaches parents how to get over that bashfulness. You know, kids aren't, you know, they're they're not as uh, tender as you think they are. Their minds are like little sponges, okay? And um, if you sit down with your kid and say, hey, look, mommy and daddy want to sit down and talk to you and teach you about the good, the bad, and the ugly of this world, um, you develop a bond, and that is so important. Because then the kid walks away and thinks, wow, mommy and daddy care enough about me to tell me things to keep me safer. And that's important. Okay. All right. So now I got that out of my of my chest or whatever, um, I'm going to go back to, I guess we do have a 661 area code number here. I'm going to open up their uh, mic and just see if they want to be a part of the show. The 661 area code. Hi, who am I speaking to? Phyllis. Phyllis. What is your name? Oh, okay. Phyllis, did you Phyllis. say? Phyllis. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I um, I have a bad head cold yet with this flu. <laughs> I can't hardly hear. So uh, correct me if I get wrong there, okay? Okay. I'm glad you're here. Do you want to be a part of the panel, or do you want to sit and listen? What do you want to do? May I sit and listen, please? You want to listen? Is that what you want to do? Yes. Okay. I'll put you on hold. Now, look, if you if there's some time in there you want to um, speak, uh, just hit the uh, one, and I'll, I'll see the hand go up again. Okay? And that's good. All right? Okay. So feel free to, you know, be a part of the panel. And we always love it when people, you know, feel free enough to do that. Okay. So we have Bill here also. He He's the president. I'm the vice president. So I have to behave myself. He's here. There he is. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm keeping hey, Bill, score how are you doing? You, I'm keeping yeah, score are you, you are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep scoring you, too. You just don't know it. I just don't tell you oh, about I it. Oh, <laughs> I know it. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for being here. And, you know, anybody that wants to can call in and, uh, you know, be on the panel and ask questions or make comments or just be quiet like Philip and, and listen to the show go by on your phone. And that's completely up to you. But if you want to dial in, it's 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. Now I'll throw the show back to Carol, who's doing a phenomenal job on Friday nights. And uh, hang in there, everybody. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for that. Um, So, Sandra, uh, why don't you uh, go ahead and start telling your story? You are amongst, you know this, you've been on once before. So you know that we're all survivors here. And um, 
we're happy that you're here to share your story because uh, I know there's somebody out there that you're going to be able to help, okay, just from listening to what you have to say. So go ahead well, and thank start. thank you for having me. Okay. Oh, we're glad thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. I, um, my name is Sandra, and I am obviously an adult survivor. I, my abuse started, it didn't start out in sexual in nature. Um, mine started out physical. I had an alcoholic father, and um, it was at times very difficult to live with them. I think when you go through abuse, you try to um, be a people pleaser. So we tried to do that, my sister and I, we tried to do that a lot, you know, do whatever we could do to kind of fly underneath the radar to stay, stay out of his sights. But um, there were plenty of times where um, he lost control. So there was a time when he picked me up uh, from by my neck and carried me to my bedroom. He was on top of me with his fist reared back, getting ready to punch me in the face at that point. And for whatever reason, he snapped out of his little rage that he was in and um, just got out and walked away from me. And my, my sister, he picked up several times by her neck, would carry her to her bedroom. That was what he did, I guess, to have that control over us. Uh, there was a time when there was a time when I didn't pick up. We we're supposed to pick up the papers that you know they'd go through the mail and they would throw it down by the end table, and it was our job as children to pick that the mess up and take it and throw it away. And he came home one time. I was sitting on my on the couch doing my math homework, and he asked me why I hadn't picked him up, and I could just tell by the look in his eye, I'm in for it. So I immediately got down on my knees and started picking the paper up, and the next thing I know, I was flying up in the air from his steel-toed cowboy boots. So that was right to my head. It was like he just turned into a monster sometimes, and he just couldn't help himself. You know, we had welts on us, multiple times I think we're very fortunate there are very there are so many more people out there you know that children that end up in the hospital and we were fortunate that that never happened to us so I thank God for that however it was hard you know you didn't want to have people over friends over you didn't want to have them come over and visit because you never knew who was going to be on the other side of that mask that he would wear was it going to be someone who was calm or someone who was mad. He pushed a friend of ours downstairs one time we, uh, into our basement because she was in his way. So, you know, it, it, it just got very difficult um, growing up. We were told often, which I think um, a lot of people go through abuse or, you know, told they try to get that control over them emotionally at some point. So we were often told that we were, you know, maybe book smart, but street stupid. We would never amount to anything. Um, We were worthless. Uh, My dad, you know, had me eat on the floor one time because he told, he said I was a pig and if I was going to be a pig, I might as well eat on the floor with the dog. Um, 
there's just a lot of, uh, you know, I think a lot of that abuse. We were fat. We were stupid. We were, and my sister was a string, a string bean, and she was told all the time that she was fat. My mother was 98 pounds soaking wet, and she was told she was fat a lot, too. So she didn't quite escape this. You know, one of the hard things that I deal with now that I'm older, um, it wasn't until, like in 2018 I actually tried to kill myself. Um, my father had passed and I was still working through a lot of, you know, did I really forgive him? Do I not? Now he's not here. I told him I forgive him, but now there's so much I want to say to him um, to tell him how he hurt me and how my life was because because of what he did when he, um, just those types of abuses before it even moved into anything sexual was bad enough. You know, I, I was probably an adult and still jerking whenever my mom or dad raised their hand, um, scared that I was going to get hit. So about, it was 2018 and I, and I just couldn't take it anymore. What I was going through and I, well, you all know because you have been abused when you sometimes you just get that point where you're helpless and you're like, you just don't really feel a lot about yourself going through that. I think that we suffer from so much and there's mental illnesses we go through. There's physical illnesses that we go through. And I think that sometimes we just think it's good to have groups like this because you feel like you're alone. Like nobody understands me. I'm, I'm just so different and nobody can understand the things that happened. And what had happened was um, my boss had started stalking me and that just, um, I think, brought back a lot of memories of what I went through when I was younger and ended up in a hospital stay, which I would have to say now was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because that helped me learn to cope my mother and I never had a relationship up until that point because subconsciously I just always blamed her. Like, why didn't you protect me? How could you not know this was going on? Um, you know, I I was always one that spent a lot of time with my dad. And then when it turned into the sexual abuse, I did everything possible to not be alone with him. So... You know, deep down, I just blamed my mom for everything that was happening to me. And it wasn't until I was older and I started going through counseling. And it's good that you, that NASCA puts the red flags out there so people know, they know what to be aware of. And when I was younger, those red flags weren't out there. You know, nobody talked about them. Nobody knew what they should look for. And so mom... You know, she did. She just didn't know. She didn't know what to look for. And it's taken me a long time to forgive her. We're really close now, but that took, I mean, I feel badly, but when I was younger, I just, I hated her. I, yeah. I, I didn't like her because she didn't protect me. Um, she also, you know, we would be spanked by her. Um mm-hmm. She was very, you know, she was violent, and I, she had the same kind of past as what I found out when I got older, and, um, and so we could talk about it and understand each other a little bit better. 
and it was just a really hard thing. And when they say that victims oftentimes get victimized again, I can say that that's absolutely true. It happened to me. It happened to my sister. I don't know. It's like the the wolves out there looking for the weak links in the in the pack, and um, it's all very real. I mean, my sister was with an older man that she was babysitting for on the way home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was ta- he was taking her home from babysitting, and for me, it was one of my friends. I was spending the night, and her older brother. Who was, who was an adult at the time, took me out of the bed and took me up to his bedroom and, you know, told me if I ever told anyone that he would um, hurt me. So, it's I think it's just so devastating. It, it hurts people in so many different ways. Uh, you know, constant. It does. Let let, let me let yes. There it is, the consistency, you know, of being abused. Um, you know, like post-traumatic stress disorder happens to people, um, you know, when it's one time after another time after another time, it becomes repetitive when you um, are abused in such a way and it happens so many times. And that's the difference between PTSD and PTSD disorder, okay? It, it's repetitive. And And don't forget, I'm going to turn this over to the panel in a second. But don't forget, those of us who have been, you know, abused, we have a way then of carrying ourselves. You know, we feel um, we feel guilty, we feel dirty, we feel this, we feel that. And, and um, you know, we, we know that these things aren't right. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know what to do. So all these feelings that, you know, that you speak about, um, are all very normal and what we we all go through as survivors. But you're well into your healing path because you're still standing, okay? That's the way it is. And um, I find it interesting and, and also hopeful, okay? I'm going to use the word hopeful and I'll turn it over to the panel. Um, you know, that you were able to forgive your mother because I think many of us, you know, go through the point in our lives where we think, well, heck, she's right there in the house. Okay, why didn't you see? Um, but then, you, like you said, the red flags that we have today that we speak about on NASCA, what we speak about when we do, you know, presentations or whatever it is the heck we do, you know, we have it available today. We're in, in touch with it so that we can speak about it and we can learn about it. But back then, we didn't have anything, okay? And um, I never forgave my mother, and um, I don't care. <laughs> so, well, you know, um, I don't feel like because um, our parents have titles, mother, father, sister, brother, uh, family members, you know, they all have their titles. They're either good people or they're not good people. They know right from wrong. You know, this is how I feel. And um, I don't go out and abuse kids. Do you? No, no, no. Absolutely. So I, we know better. Mm-hmm. You know, okay? Yeah. So, you know, like, I, I just, uh, I don't fall into that. You know, well, it happened to, uh, in the family, maybe it was, you know, in the family, a lot of, uh, you know, problems. I think you had mentioned that uh, your mother had been abused or something. Correct me if I'm wrong in that. But um, right. and to what extent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be generational, yes. And then um, people who go through generational type of, of abuse, 
Many times they close their ears and they cover their eyes because they can't stand looking at it or even believing that it's happening. Now, my mother was a princess. Yes, she was. She wasn't even allowed to walk in dirt. The boys had to carry her. Are you nuts? (laughs) You know? So that doesn't even work, okay? So it wasn't generational in her family, but it became a monster in my family with incest and um, then all, the, all, all the other things on the outside of the family. And I think, too, today, though, kids are, you know, if they're taught, they're trained, they're shown, they're spoken to, um, they will find someone to tell. They won't go through maybe as much as we went through, and uh, they'll get help, hopefully, all right, earlier. Let me turn this over to uh, Lori. She's been waiting very patiently, and I see she's got her little hand up there. So she wants to talk, and, and then I'll go, down, <laughs> I'll, go down to, I'll go down to Bill. Okay, okay. Go ahead, Lori. Okay. Um, I got to tell you right off the bat, you and I have a lot of similarities as uh, far as the family type of, of violence growing up. Your father actually parallels my brother. Um, so I understand what that that house of rage for you was like. Um, it's like a violence that they can't control because they're just not strong enough people. It's like they go out of their minds is literally where they go. But they take it out on us and they don't they don't care because they're not here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're not here. But you know to have to stay away from them. We just try to find like hiding places. I mean my father used to walk around just with the belt in general because he took it off so often he uh ended up wearing suspenders. Uh, it was an everyday explosion from him. I think he got off with his adrenaline on on that. I don't know why. They eventually put him on Xanax, you know, later in life, but he exploded, and the violence of uh, the house rocked, and the people he came in contact rocked. I mean, he was always chasing somebody, and it never happened. So my heart goes after you to just have to live like that. I mean, what he did to you. Um, the second thing that I wanted to tell you, you can still talk to your father. You don't have to just stop the story because he died. Um, you know, people believe in all different things, but life really does go on. And he can hear you. He can hear you. And it's not so much as important that he he does. What's important is that you're getting it off your chest. You're working it out. And the only way to work out trauma is either write it through or talk it through, uh, what you're doing. So don't think that he, that you can't finish he, your healing journey. You've got to talk this out more. Uh, and we're actually forever doing it, so we'll never be talking. But, yeah, he hears. You don't have to worry about that, you know. And when you said you were different, you know, we are different. We We sense that we are different from your average person that's not abused. I think that goes with all of us. Um, it's just the way it is. You have to accept that. Um, I was surprised when you said that you have a, had a relationship with your mother, like you had a restart with her. That really surprised me because uh, just as you felt about it for the same reasons, you know, my mother gave me away. I knew and whatever. I had my anger issues with her. It never dawned on me. 
to actually um, reestablish a relationship with her because when I was old enough, you know, I cut her out of my life. I threw her away, and, you know, I started healing when I did that. Uh, it never occurred to me uh, to get in touch with her again. So I find that really interesting about you. you know, it's like you're you're going to be doing a story, and you're going to get your answers, you know, because you're doing so much work with it. I ended up just going to a therapist, you know, and talking about the whole thing. Because, you know, my, my mother, you know, was, they have diagnoses for everybody in, in the family I didn't. She was just crazy, so she wouldn't understood anything anyway. And since I already knew that about her, I didn't, you know, even try to bother with her. It was someone you needed to get away from. But the fact that you're, you know, um, you know, interested in communication and with all that, you know, that's going to help your healing journey. So, you know, you're a hard worker over there. And I think what you're doing is, is wonderful, So, you know, so far from what I've heard. Very impressive you are. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I felt like um, the part of the forgiveness was um, when I walked before we, me and my sister forgave her and we went through a lot. Um, my sister lives in another state and she would come up and then we would kind of talk to her and let her know how we were feeling. And it was almost like a weight was lifted off. It sounded like maybe at the time that you made the decision to cut your mom off and it was like a weight being lifted. That's how it was for us when we forgave her. And I just think, um, you know, if it weren't for God, you know, there's always but God, you know, and that I think helped. I think that helped our healing. I think that helped us with being able to forgive. Um, you know, we we still have a long way to go, especially my sister. Um, she's um, she took the brunt of the sexual abuse. Um, I went through it just a little bit. I went through more of the physical abuse. And, um, yeah, she still has a, you know, we both still have quite a bit of healing to do and, and trying to mend um, our relationship with our mom is what we're trying to do. I think that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, that I do too. Mm-hmm. My mother used to tell me she was a witch, and I believed her. <laughs> I believed in God, always did. Met Billy Graham in New York City when I was five years old. And um, he told me some things, gave me a Bible, all kinds of stuff. I went up to be uh, forgiven, but I didn't know what for. <laughs> I, was, I was a spunky kid. And I thought it would be like fun to like go into the line with everybody else that haven't blessed me and all that sort of stuff. So whatever. So it was a huge convention. And he said, um, someday you're going to, I said, I don't know how. He said, but you're going to reach many people with your mouth. And boy, was he right with that, because <laughs> my mouth never stops. <laughs> you know, we, everyone who knows me knows that I like to talk a lot. But you see, this is how we learn to heal, and we do heal. We can heal. We want to heal. We're capable people. We're smart people. We're not stupid. You're not a pig, okay? Um, and all these other things that you went through, all the things that were said to you, um, shame on them. You see, you have to put the shame in the right place. And uh, the, the, your actions of your father. 
and so forth, and, and then it having going out throughout the family as well. So, you know, you know, what you went through is what a lot of us go through, and it does major damage along the way until we get the proper help that we need. You know, I was considered to be uh, clinically depressed, and I tried to kill myself when I was 17. My mother told me to do a good job. <laughs> I'm not going to forgive her. <laughs> I didn't think of other things I wanted to do to her. But anyway, my stepfather was on the other side, and he was going, yeah, yeah, because he was from Denmark, puffing on his cigar, mm. watching me. So I was cutting away. And the only thing that saved mm. me was a, a friend of mine who lived with us. Um, she was allowed to live with us. My mother didn't want any contact with me. So she didn't care. And we had big houses, all right, big houses. I'm in a tiny house now. I don't know. But I lived in big houses. And there were plenty of bedrooms. And... Uh, so she was out on a date. She didn't like the guy, and uh, she had him drop her off. She came running up the steps to tell me all about her bad date and found me on the floor in a pool of blood. It was getting bigger by the minute, second, whatever. And she pulled me back by my long blonde hair and dragged me down the steps. Yes, she did. And um, we went down to where there was a medical box and the business that we owned, and it was flowers. And uh, she taped me up as best as she could, and we took off. We just took off. So, you see, when you go through all kinds of, and I met my first husband that night. I should have stayed home. I should have stayed at a different part of the house or something. But anyway, that didn't work out well. But anyway, so, you see, when we go through all these different types of things in our lives, all this horror, all this trauma, um, we either make it or we don't make it. And... um, Again, the shame and the blame, because we don't know any better at the time, is put in the wrong place. And, and you know, because we're just kids. All right, mm-hmm. we're just kids. That's all we are. I don't care if you're 17, 18 years old. You're still a kid. All right? And our minds don't even form completely until we're 26 years old. All right? And that seems outrageous. I had two children by then, a bad marriage and all kinds of stuff at the age of 26. So... But still in all, you know, but that's what they say. So anyway, mm-hmm. the point is um, I'm, I'm proud of you, too, in the sense that you are moving forward. And um, I'm proud of you in the sense that you were able to speak to your mother and forgive your mother and uh, have a relationship with your mother. I had none, no relationship. You see, that's just the way it goes. Some do, some don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I wanted one. And I don't think Lori wanted one either. It's just different. It's just different. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. And but I'm proud of you for doing that because you know what? Little boys need their fathers, right? They really do. And my kids, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they don't. They didn't really have a father. I mean, they had their father, but he wasn't there. Forget about it. And I walked away from him. Put one foot in front of the other, with the blessing of the church. <laughs> they didn't like me either. And, you know, they, they say, you know, take off and, and live your life and remember the things we taught you. Remember it. And uh, that's why I do the type of work that I do, because I do remember it, okay, the things that we learned along the way. And God is in my mm-hmm. life as well. And, um, you know, that's just the way it is. So um, Bill, what do you have to say to all this? You know, I don't identify with a lot of it because the abuses that you you people um, experienced were in your home, 
and with your parents and so forth, and mine weren't. But I just got finished um, doing another interview with a, an attorney that I had hired to um, trying to get money for me from the Catholic Church. And I hadn't heard from her in a long time. And boy, it was good to hear from her because it's a relief that somebody cares. It's just a relief, you know. Somebody cares. And uh, and I, I was relating to her how um, things were for me, and it really uh, came down to I was describing different parts of my life, and a lot of anger was coming up. I was angry at this, and I was angry at that, and I was angry at the other thing. And I think that's kind of what you guys are talking about. You know, I, I did feel like my parents had led, led me down a garden path to to Catholicism, right into the hands of the pedophiles, priests that were there for me and waiting for me, you know. But I didn't blame them because they didn't know. I didn't know. Nobody knew. Uh, but anyway, that's that's kind of how my reaction is to, to most of what you're talking about, Carol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I see we all have our stories, and none of them are, you know, the same. It's just that the right. trauma that it puts upon us, okay, as we walk right. through you know the, the, that 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 path of, of destruction, because that's what it is: is destruction, destruction to our heart, destruction to our mind, destruction to our soul. You know, just plain destruction. And uh, yeah. you know, but we can all heal. See, that's that's the glorious part of all this: is no matter what we go through, okay, we can heal from it. It doesn't have to. How many times do we say this? It doesn't have to define who we are today. Correct. And it takes us, yeah, and it takes us a while to understand that, and it certainly takes us a while to get on the healing path of learning how to put things in their proper places. You know, like with myself, I just put, you know, certain people in the back of my brain, and they can stay there, all right? <laughs> I, don't, they, I don't want you to think about them. And uh, when I wrote my book, now I know that she's in the process of writing a book, but when I wrote my book, it took me 28 days, and I had absolutely no feeling about the things that I was saying. Is all the truth? Right. Didn't right. have to put any any false things in it or anything. And but see, everyone feels differently, you know, about certain things. And um, I think it's because I've gotten so far along in my healing journey, as many of us have on on, on NASCA. Um, that these are things that happen, and I was almost looking like a, at a movie, a horror movie, if you will, watching this little girl going through all this stuff and, and, and still being able to walk and talk today and, and to function and to be able to help other people and to do the things that all of NASCA does and then outside even work with homeless and stuff that I do and so forth. But, you know, we've had rough lives, but we turned out fine. And you're not stupid, and you're not a pig, I can tell, okay? So go on with your story. <laughs> I want to see a little bit more here. So we, um, back when it first started happening, when the sexual abuse first started happening with me, um, I don't know, I don't know if my sister kind of sensed it or if, whatever, the powers to be just kind of moved in our lives. And she um, she told. She went to a counselor at school and she finally told her friend had her um, go with her. And they, you know, 
the next thing I know, I'm at home and Child Protective Services is showing up. And, you know, we're youngsters, like 15, I think, at the time. And they, they show up. Now, my sister had been going through this since she was four, and she's like 16, 17 at the time. She was a senior, I think, in high school. And so she comes home, and, and they said, um, they removed my sister out of the home, and they left me there. So I think, like, going through counseling and stuff over the last couple of years, I, you know, they kind of, some of the things that I went through were, you know, I don't, I don't care. I, I mean, I, I was worth nothing. You know, they, they took my sister out of the home, but they left me there with a pedophile, with a child molester, and just left me there. So I'm there going, okay, now what's going to happen? Now this my sister, the one who protected me, is gone because they couldn't be in the same house, the same fa- the in the same place together. And I was still left there, and until he actually went to jail. I was left in the home with him and my mom. Um, it, it was very uncomfortable. Um, she had to be around the entire time um, that he was there. And then it was just very weird. And I can't explain how it makes you feel. Uh, the police were coming to talk to my sister. The counselor talked to my sister. My sister went to court and got to talk to the judge. And then we all went to counseling. Nobody ever talked about what happened to me the entire time. It Nobody. Um, I think when it first happened, my mom asked me what happened to me, and I told. And my dad started crying and said, I don't remember any of that. And that was the only time, that was the only conversation ever um, to try for me to get a healing. So my sister went through years of counseling, and I got none. I got nothing. I got, here you go, sorry that happened. Too bad. And and that was hard. That was very hard. Um, That stayed with me throughout. I can tell now that I'm older looking back, a lot of the the decisions that I made in my life. I turned it around, obviously, at some point in my life. ended up getting an education, was, you know, self-supportive. and um, But in my early years, I struggled. I struggled a lot. I was an alcoholic. Um, didn't realize why all the guys kind of liked me. <laughs> but then you find out later, right, because all of them just want one thing. Um, and it was hard for me to say no to people. I still wanted to be a people pleaser. So for a long time, I had that dark cloud <clears throat> over my head. It felt like it followed me around everywhere. Um, and it was bad. I mean, I did the things that they say sexual survivors do. You know, I was promiscuous. Uh, you know, I had a problem with alcohol. And it took me a lot of years, as you all know, to to kind of break free from that a little bit. Um I'm certainly still not all the way healed. I don't know if I ever will be. But I know for me, that's my goal. That's my focus. I try to focus on my healing and getting through and making, coming to terms with the things 
that I'm in constant conflict with inside myself because of it. Um, I still have a problem, you know, when I'm in groups of people, I get very anxious. I don't like to be around groups of people. And um, especially if they're men, if there's a lot of men in the group, um, it's very uncomfortable for me. You know, I just, I have constant pain. um, And one of my doctors told me it's likely um, from my childhood, from being traumatized when I was a child. And my pain is more severe than what a normal person would have. Well, that's very common. Okay, that's that's very common with um, those of us who have been abused. I remember going to the doctors at times when I was a kid. Um, she was selective as to when she'd take me to the doctors. There were times I should have gone, but I didn't. Okay, but he, you know, I would have trouble with my stomach too. And and look, when um, when you are filled with fright. You have fear, you have fright, and and uh, and you can't flee. Okay, we can't do that because where are we going to go? All right, you're just kids. You know, how are you going to do it? Right? I mean, I did. I would run away from home at times, and um, but it wasn't stupid. I wouldn't run away when it was ice cold out. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I had friends out on the street. They were older than me, and they protected me. And that's very unusual. But on the other hand, I would, like, go in and out, in and out of the house. I told you it was a big house. So they wouldn't even hear me go in and out. And when they were up in bed, I'd just scoot up into the kitchen, grab, you know, fruit and stuff. My mother had lots of fruit out, and, you know, for my friends and for myself. And, and um, you know, I would wash up in the in the basement, things like that, if I was going to be out for more than just a few days, a couple few days, and if it wasn't ice cold out. And um, I would take things from the cupboards, things I thought I could get away with. You know, I I was very careful what I took, things that they wouldn't be noticed because I had too many of it already, you know, whatever. And um, then I'd go back because they they were older than me and they did have a couple of friends that had a car. So I had transportation back and forth, if you will. And uh, I, I saw too many things out on the street. And and um, I had two of my friends OD in front of me. They were heavy into drugs. They wouldn't let me do heroin. I didn't want to do heroin. But they would buy me booze, and I liked my booze. Oh, yes, I did. You see, I started at the age of 13 drinking. I noticed in your bio here that you went through a, a, a long time of drinking. Many mm-hmm. of us who um, have been abused and we're kids and we don't have any help and we don't know what to do with our feelings, right? We don't know the psychology behind it, okay? So what we do is we turn to comfort, or in AA they call it a crutch. So, you know, we would, uh, you know, start to, you know, drink or uh, drug or do both. And uh, I had two of my friends bubble up, as I called it, right in front of me. And and, uh, I had to, I couldn't help them. They were dying. They went down the ground. And um, I knew the police were coming, so I had to run. Uh, I went home that night. <laughs> I got a ride, and I said, hey, get me out of here. It took me, it took me a couple of weeks before I went back because I couldn't stand my brother touching me, and that's okay. And I told my mother that happens in families. Well, yes, it does, but it's not supposed to. And all the things that I went through in my household. So I would come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. 
And, um, you know, so I went through similar things because it was inside the house and also outside the house. And many of us go through that. And I think it's a blooming miracle, okay, that uh, that we survive. You know, if we don't self-harm, you know, we get, you know, we get into drugs and, and OD and, and other things. So um, I, I think it's a miracle, you know, that we're walking the earth. And I believe that the reason why we're walking this earth, even with our own self-destruction, okay, that we put ourselves through, is to help other people, all right, if we can. You can't help everyone, Sandra. I found that out the hard way. I was like a bleeding heart at one time, out 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning trying to help people, you know. Um, even when I had my children, I was married for almost 10 years to my first husband. And, oh, my God, almost 40 years to, to Marty when he passed away. But anyway, it's like all my life I was married and also controlled, mind you. It wasn't good marriages because we don't know how to pick many times good partners. We have trouble with that. But I would be out there trying to help people, and um, they thought I was crazy, and I didn't really care about my husband's. You know, they it, it got into that mode. At first, it's passion. Oh, my God, the passion. Right? And then, uh, then all of a sudden, that goes away because we grow apart. Many times, people who are survivors do grow apart from their spouse. And that can happen if you're even not a survivor. It just happens. So... Mm-hmm. What we do have is we have the experience. I mean, yes, I I work state and, and county jobs. They sent me to school, and um, I didn't want to go to school. I was still having panic attacks. <laughs> I didn't want to look at people either. I didn't want them looking at me, all right, unless I was drunk, all right? So right. I would go to school. Yeah, so I'd go to school with a flask in my pocket. I was always the clown. People loved me because I'm a clown, okay? But I always remind them. You turn a clown upside down, and what do you have? You have the frown, okay? Clowns many times are not happy people. It's good to laugh. I love to laugh, and I make a lot of people laugh. But that doesn't mean that I'm okay, all right? It just means that I'm enjoying myself at that point, okay, because I'd like to make people laugh. But, you know, we take one step at a time. And, you know, you say you have a therapist. I believe you did say that, did you not? Or you had gone to a therapist? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So, you know, as long as we get ourselves straightened out, we can't worry about other people. And you say you put the focus on yourself, and that's very good into your healing. Because once you heal, you're going to be a very powerful person by helping other people. And something that we've learned on NASCA and even before I joined NASCA 12 years ago, I've been in and out of all different types of, of things. If I go and help people, all right, if I help people, it makes me feel better. But we have to get to a certain point, you know, to be able to go out and, and help persons, you know, people who need help. Sometimes just walking down the street, someone brought this up, I think, last night, because I was listening, okay, later on I listened. But a smile. You walk down the street and you see someone really looking sad and you just look at them and give them a big smile. Hey, how you doing? Whatever. Um, sometimes that can mean the world to a person, something as simple as that. And I think you even mentioned earlier on 
that something about you needed someone to smile at you or something. You were wishing that someone would give you some sort of attention to make you, because we do get down into that rut, and, and we have, it's not our fault. Of course we're going to have uh, emotions and feelings, feelings of, of, I had feelings of hatred at times with the people at home, right? I mean, I, I really felt that way, and that's dangerous, all right? And um, why would I love these people? They don't love me, and they always told me that. Like, you would be called, you, you were called a pig and all this stuff. We have to many times go through all these terrible, terrible things in our lives. But then as we start to heal and we get stronger, and maybe I start out in soup, you know, soup kitchens, I would go there and help people there. And then I even went volunteer with the uh, Raleigh Lifers Program, Scared Straight. Hey, I was a juvenile delinquent. I knew these kids, okay? They knew me, all right? So, I mean, it was an easy thing for me to do. And, and I got started there. It started, I, I didn't have to put on my resume because in those days you had to fill out resumes, remember? You worked here and the, and the years and all this other stuff. And, um, but I had a place to start, and I did that for over three years. And then I worked from there on. So you see, and that wasn't volunteer. So I worked my way up the ladder. And as you help people, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. You get yourself out of that rut that you're in. And um, and you're able to go to bed at night with a good feeling instead of a sad feeling. Yeah. I get it. I get it. We mm. all get it. You know, we yeah. all get it. You made the comment about your stomach. And having uh-huh. stomach issues, and I've had them well ever since, you know, uh, the sexual abuse started with me at home. And uh, when I went to the GI doctor at the university, he it, it was he was like an angel sent to me. I mean, he looked at me and he goes, tell me about you. And so I started talking mm-hmm. about work. And he said, no, I want to know, or my medical issues, I started talking about. He said, no, I want to know about you. And so we start talking and, you know, I've had a lot of, you know, issues, physical issues. And they finally, look, he looked at me and he said, were you abused as a child? And I was like, what? What did you just say? I mean, that's nowhere in my medical record. But he could tell by all of the painful diagnoses that I had. And he just knew it. And so he was able to work with me on setting me up with a program. He said, your stomach's having, like, migraine headaches. That's what's happening to you. And it's like PTSD. And he said, you're in a flare right now because your boss, who's, you know, stalking you, and, um, you know, here, we can work with this. He said, I, I can help you get better um, with that. And it was just amazing to me because ever since I was a child, I mean, my mom took me to the doctor when I was really young, and nobody could figure out. I mean, they just thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because nobody well, they could didn't find out understand that. They didn't understand it back then, you know. Um, hey, when I was going to school, there's a lot of kids, like I was in Staten Island, there's a lot of kids that were being horribly abused at home. And um, I felt sorry for them because they lived right by the dumps. Oh, my God. It was awful. In the summertime, oh, my God. But the point is this. Um, so many kids in that school, they they come in with black eyes. Come on. People can't see a black eye. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and like even with us, we here on, on this show, 
I mean, I my mother, you talk about the belt, you were hit constantly with the belt. My mother used to have me go out and pick my switches, okay? So I learned that as I was picking my switch, that if the switch had a little brown in it, <laughs> I wasn't going to get hurt as badly, okay, because it was dead. It wasn't going to hurt me. Well, she caught on, okay, and uh, <laughs> she stopped doing that. She went and picked the switch. She went back to that, and the boy, they hurt. And I was an athlete. See, we turn to certain things, okay? We turn to certain things. And I turned to two things. I turned to music, and I also turned to um, being an athlete. And I won awards for both of that, okay? So I had that. But my mother, she must have been an athlete too because she could catch me, all right? So she used to switch me, I remember, I remember, and um, all the welts on my legs and so forth. And people saw that. But you see, when we were growing up, that's the point. When we were growing up, people didn't talk about stuff like that. If they see a kid being abused on the streets, they'd have been slapped in the head or something by their mother or father or whomever. Um, and they seem horrified. They might get a horrified look on their face. But they turn and walk away, you see. And that's the, this is the, why NASCA is so important. Because we're trying to bring forth all that awareness to people that there are places you can call now. There are more, There is more help. There is more understanding. Is it perfect yet? No. I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. Because there's always going to be child abuse. We can't make that go away. But what we can do is educate community. Okay, I believe very much in community. Um, I believe in educating our children, those that, you know, are not harming their children. You know, again, for the red flags. We have things to work with. We have tools today. Okay, we have the tools to teach other people how to use those tools to help, you know, spot child abuse. And then it's the big biggie. We hope that they make that phone call. Because you don't even have to give your name, for God's sake. You don't have to do that anymore. Because a lot of times right. people are afraid of retaliation, right? Um, you don't have to mm. worry about that. You call that, and I always give them a little bit of a perk, because I, we've had them on the show three or four times now, but it's through child help. And they do have um, the 1-800 number, and that's 1-800, the number four, a child, okay? That's the number that anyone can call. It's nationwide. You can call them. And, and and they'll guide you, they'll help you, they'll tell you what to do, and, and all this other stuff. And I'll tell you something, too. People are afraid to call the police because it, what if they're wrong? Okay, they think, what if I'm making a mistake? I've known many police officers in my time and in the type of work I've done at detention. And let me tell you something. They would rather you be wrong than go to a house where a kid is like, tied up and being smacked to death. You know, I'm just using that. You know what I'm saying. So they would rather, you know, come out and say, okay, we'll have someone come in and and investigate a little further, you know, someone from one of the wonderful organizations. Hopefully they'll do a good job. I think they need more training too. But, you see, Mm -hmm. the point is they they will follow through if they feel like there's uh, a necessary reason for that. They did that in Staten Island with me. That was CPS. And they follow through, believe me, okay? So you see, you can get the good and bad and the ugly in them too. 
And um, but many people who do go into the uh, social workers, counselors, um, uh, therapists do have the interest of the child at heart, you know. And if they're trained well themselves, they can certainly help that child, okay, and make proper choices. Are you talking to me, pussy cat? <laughs> My cat just meowed at me. Where are you? <laughs> okay, shh, shh, mommy's on the phone. Like she cares. But anyway, so you see, these are all things that um, it's different today, not perfect by far, but it's better. So that when you have, you know, like the NASCA show and, and some other shows, that we, we, if we all work together, if we can do that, and if community works with community, works with the neighborhood, works with kids, which I very much believe in, I have friends that do that, the guardian angels there. I'll give them a little perk, too. I think they're wonderful. I love them. But the point is they work with kids. There's kids out there all over the place who need help. And and so we're getting better, okay? Let's put it that way. And I'm hoping that in time, that in time, that dent will be made in the statistics of child abuse. It's never going to go away. We get people on here that say, I'm going to make it go away. No, you're not. But you're going to put that dent in it if you do the right thing. Lori, what do you have to mm-hmm. say? Oh, my God. And Carol, you've done so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess for real. Yeah, you've been very, like, active. I feel, like, bad, you know. But I had to take care of my kid. I had to stop and do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, do what you do. Sandra. Yes, you do. Um, when we're talking about not being validated for your feelings, being left in the house while your your sister got help and you know treated like you didn't exist, you mm-hmm. actually you actually really didn't exist to them. You know, not that you don't, didn't exist or that you thought you shouldn't, but you know their heads were somewhere else, and it's their way of thinking that's the problem, not the way you're. You were thinking everything you said is perfectly um, sensible for what was done to you and what you're going through. You know, it's like there would be no other way to feel. You know, having to go through a situation where you are basically invisible. You know, because you know I felt invisible. Everybody knew what was going on and stuff. You know, nothing was a secret. I mean, I felt. You know, not fell. I got thrown out a second-story window. And when I found out all the relatives knew about it, it was in my adulthood, I was really angry. I was like, you know, how do you turn your back on an abusive family who, you know, gets their, you know, kid not even to a hospital? But nobody cared, and nobody did anything, and nobody intervened. And, And that's just the way it was, you know, when I was young. I would hope it got better now. You know, if somebody gets hurt, they're at least taken, you know, to get fixed and stuff. But it's a natural thing that you got to feel the way you are. And your health issues are definitely going to, you know, as you get older, um, get worse, unfortunately. But they're related to what was done to you. It's still not your fault, you know, the way your your body reacted uh, to the abuse, the constant abuse is what it comes down to. So the stomach issues, you know, once you start with the stomach, 
I mean, I had my ulcer. I was 18 when I had the ulcer and stuff. And I've got like IBS, diverticulitis. I mean, all kinds of things from from my major anxiety disorders is now what I ended up with. You know, because I was afraid of people outside. I mean, what they were doing to me inside made me fearful. You know, enough that like if they're doing it to me. What happens if a stranger gets me? You know, what else are they going to do to me? So I became afraid of a lot of people, and I rather, you know, have kept to myself just for safety reasons. Have to, you know, have some kind of shield that you can step out of. You know, it's like a compartment in your head that you go to. It's a safe place. You know, for me, it was like I would always think of the waterfalls when something horrible was going on. I would take my mind literally somewhere else, like disassociate. Um, That's the only way I made to throw it. But my body still absorbed the shock and my body still got worn down. But there's no reason to not continue to heal, um, even though the conditions, you know, it's an age thing as well, too. I don't know how old you are, but I know that you're at a point where once the body, you know, gets triggered, it kind of affects the whole, like, nervous system, like with an anxiety thing. You know, at this at the point I'm on now, it's a real medical diagnosis. I don't remember the name of it, but I get startled very easily. And that's because I've been trashed, you know, my body has just been so trashed by the constant trauma that kept coming on to me. You know, but I got used to it. You know, there's places I don't put myself, places I do put myself. You know, it was hard for me to come back on here. I mean, I'm not going to deny I I had a lot of anxiety um, coming back. And... um, it worked out because I did hear, my worry was my speech uh, from the strokes that I had. And direct, yeah, it's all from child abuse, too. You know, one leads to the other. But my worry was that I wasn't going to speak right and that I would be on the air sounding like I do mostly when I, right after I have a mini stroke, my speech is always affected. And I've had nine of them so far. So I, my Anxiety level is related to to that, and with you, you know, you might be very, very anxious, but you're carrying yourself very well. I mean, I'm listening to you, and you have no problem telling um, your story, so you have more of a handle on things than you think you do. Yep. So that's that's where I'm at with you. Well, I I think she, I think Lori's doing wonderful too. Okay, I've mm-hmm. been telling her that I'm going to get her head really swollen. But um, <laughs> now the, the word you were looking for is hypervigilance. Uh, many times we do suffer from hypervigilance. Like if you go into a restaurant, um, you look for exit signs. Okay, mm-hmm. at least I do. <laughs> I don't know. Some people look for the bathroom. I look for the exit sign. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> the, the point is, you know, um, we are kind of jumpy and nervous and, and, like, always on guard. That's what hypervigilance is. We're on guard. And with our stomach issues, I mean, I have diverticulitis also. Now, that does run in my family. My mother had it. Her mother had it. Um, 
My stupid brother had it. Um, I don't know if he's dead or alive. I don't know. I have it. Now my son has it. And uh, it's, so it's just like running all rampant throughout um, the, the family. And they're finding out with uh, diverticulitis that kids can actually get it. 15, 18-year-old kids, 15-year-old kids, um, teenagers, you're going through. And maybe you did have it, Lori. I mean, you're going through all of this stuff. We all are. I mean, I, we, we many times, all of us, have stomach issues. What about you, Bill? Do you have stomach issues? Um. I have uh, I have kind of I'm, I'm more easily triggered I see by um, things that happen that put me into a like a, a, P, a PS, AP, what's it called <laughs> PTSD you know uh-huh. but I have I have things like nightmares occasionally and um, and I'm jumpy and so forth but I don't know that it's I don't know I I was trying to explain to the attorney today the book that's called um, the body keeps the score. You know, yeah. and I think it's true that it's a very good book, by the way. I think it's true that the uh, trauma that we all experience after we're abused and have to live through until, you know, until we start to heal, it builds up in our body and it, it produces a variety of different um, responses. Most most of them, from my perspective, are things that occur with the nervous system or the emotional stuff. But not all. There's a lot of physical stuff too, and um, so it's it's hard because I don't think I don't know how many people are really studying this or appreciating this fact. But I, I believe it's true. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, um, it's uh, you had said something earlier, you know, uh, yeah. about your stomach. I'm, I'm I'm speaking to Sandra now. Um, oh. I think, and the reason why I'm doing this because she just sparked something in me. I used to constantly complain about my stomach, okay? I've got a stomach ache. I've got, I felt like I had a knot in my stomach, okay? And I think that, you know, when we're walking around in constant fear many times, we can develop that, that knot in our stomach. So she would take me to the doctors, like I said, when she felt like it. And many times he would write down, um, I was going to say psycho. Maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, like he couldn't, he didn't have an actual name for it. He didn't have an actual name for it because, you know, after examining my stomach, I'm laying down flat, you know, and, and they poke and they push and they do all the things that they do. He couldn't feel like um, there was, uh, you know, anything really wrong, you know, and, and so he wouldn't know what to put. And he would put, like, stomach issues but he was always giving my mother like a strange look, and that made my day, okay, because I thought, okay, he may not have a, a name for what's going on with my stomach, but he suspects something, that there's something wrong. It was almost being validated, you know what I'm saying? And I think yeah, that's what I mean. you went through. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I so, was. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. Well, actually, Bill first. I think he said, yeah, and then you said something, and I said something. Well, go ahead with what your it's your show. Go ahead. You do it. Go ahead. Say say, say something. Uh, no, I was just going to say, you know, I think that a lot of times the doctors, they don't know how to treat us. Um, you know, we might get, thank goodness I didn't, Um early on, but I know some of my friends that had been abused as children that did, they were 
labeled as bipolar and they were treated as they had bipolar disorder. Instead of going through like trauma healing, they just put medicine on them and sent them to a counselor for bipolar disorder. So I think even when it comes to our stomach issues, our emotional states, um, physical things that we're going through in our bodies, unless a doctor has been trained in this multi-system exaggeration, I guess, that our body can do, they don't know. They just don't have a clue. And then we're left no, no. even one one more time exactly. where you're looking and going, I'm what what's going on? I'm I'm weird, I guess. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they're not trained in it. They're not expecting it, so they don't look for it. And when we bring in our, our symptoms, they don't relate it to child abuse. They relate it to a virus or you know or a, a, something like that, a bacterial mm-hmm. thing, but not to child abuse. Because child abuse is not something you can, you really can't measure it, can you? You can't put it under a microscope and see it. You know, you can't do a test in a lab and find it. It's it's a it's an interior. You know, it happens inside of us, but all of us can verify that it happens inside of us. You know, and uh, we're not we're not being served because the community, the medical community, isn't. you know, isn't up to snuff as far as as a curriculum, basically, for the for the new new medical people, you know, and and the training themselves in old in the new 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 stuff. Um, what do they call it? In-house training, you know, to mm-hmm. update what, what they know about. So, no, I it's, I understand. I believe this is a good discussion. I appreciate your you guys going through it. Well, she's doing a fine job, and so is Lori, you know. And um, yep. let me tell you something. They're both doing very well. I'm proud of both of them, okay, because they each have a heavy story. I know their stories. And um, they're doing very well. And I'm I'm so glad that you came back, you know, to be on the show because um, you don't realize maybe but you have a lot to offer. There are people out there listening right now, and, and others will listen later. It's Friday, <laughs> okay. So, but they'll listen later. Or maybe they'll listen tomorrow. But the point is this, they're going to listen. And so many of them are going to be able to identify with uh, what we're all saying here, all right? Um, and it all, it, it all comes down to, yes, we've been horribly abused. And uh, we don't take measuring sticks here, okay? We don't do that. One time is too much, okay? It's as simple as that. And anyone who goes through trauma one time, it has, it, that's just not right. So it doesn't matter if it's one time or if it's 176 times or, or what the number is. The point is this. It happened. And you're educating people. This is what we do. We educate people. And then they don't feel so alone. And then they'll come on and they'll tell their story. And they and I love it when guys come on. And we've had a lot more men come on in the last couple of years um, because they're giving themselves permission, if you will, to come on, all right, because guys weren't allowed to talk about things like this. They were just supposed to suck it up, you know, and say, okay, I went through it, but I'm a tough person. I can handle it. I don't need help. Um, And yet they're down at the end of the bar getting so blasted, wasted, and then they go home and beat the heck out of their children or or their wife or significant other, you know, whomever. And, um, yeah, they're doing real well, all right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? 
Um, but that's so often what happens. And so now more men are coming forward. I have, I'm the night owl, so I get a lot of calls in the a.m., although it's been not just the a.m. lately. And um, I can get them in the afternoon, too. But anyway, the point is this. Um, we do have programs also that we, you know, let people know about, and that's on our website. And uh, you'll see that in one of the red blocks. In fact, it's the first one that speaks about, you know, programs. And we want people to, you know, to look into that, whether male or female, because it's so simple to open it up. You just click it on. You'll see the world spinning around. You go down to the United States. And, and um, you go to wherever you're from, California, New Jersey, New York, whatever, and uh, Wyoming, whatever, and, and you click on, and then you have a whole bunch of uh, counties and, and cities, whatever, that are, that are in your area. You may not know these places exist, but they're there. You have a telephone number to call. They give you a little synopsis of what, you know, what the program's about, a little this, a little that. And... Um, and people can get help today. See, this is what I'm saying. We offer a lot at NASCA, and let me tell you something. We're giving out a lot of information, and me with my mouth, I always make sure I give out lots of information when I come on this show because I want people to feel better and to know that you can heal. All right, you can heal. Right. Uh, and, and that's so important for people to understand that. All right. And then... Uh, the show's getting almost over with. We're getting down there, getting down to the wire. But I think we had a very good show. Um, we at NASCA do try to educate as much as we can, you know, people, so that they have a better understanding about child abuse. And then hopefully, like I said before, they'll be someone's hero, all right, be someone's hero and, and make that phone call. I think I read the other night. I always have many, many notes from whatever. I do a lot of research, and it was like 20,000 calls a day. Was that right, Lori? Were you on that show? I don't know. Some crazy number of, of uh, people who are calling in to, you know, to places like CPS. Sometimes I'll just go right straight to them, or they'll call you know, the 1-800 numbers. There's a 1-800-4-CHILD. There's a whole bunch of numbers now. And this is how I can see that there is hope because we have so much information to offer. And I do always like to say, too, that when I wrote my book all those years ago now, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I don't know what it was, 12 years ago, yes, it was, there was only one other book like mine on Amazon. Okay? If you go to Amazon today, and you will see many, 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 many books about child abuse. So you see, the awareness is getting out there. People are telling their stories. They're writing their stories. This is so important. They're using art. They're using music. There's all kinds of ways. Uh, a lot of people blog. There's all kinds of ways to get you know information out there and to tell your story. And this is what we need because this is the only way that that dent is going to be made in the statistics of child abuse is by people like us who write our books, who write our music, who write, you know, this, who blog, who do, who are artists. I've used I've used artwork from from NASCA, okay, because we have people who are artists. When I would do presentations, I did a lot before COVID came out. Everything's all whacked out yet. So, but the point is, I would use that artwork. 
because they did a fine job. I still have, I have them in my bedroom, just waiting to get out there again. And, um, you know, but we're going through times in our country now. But I can tell you this, the main abuse of children now that are going to the hospitals, into the ER room, is head trauma. I just want people to know that. It's head trauma. They don't take them in, you know, if they break a leg or they break a wrist or whatever. I'm just using a foot, whatever. What's going in now is, is the head trauma cases. And um, so this, we have an awful lot of work to do. And we can't do it all. But by sharing our stories, because I know there was some, something on uh, Facebook uh, by one of our NASCA members, there's nothing wrong with telling your story, okay, because you're bringing forth awareness. It's wonderful. I'm thankful, you know, that we had such a fine guest tonight. She came on. She did it. She did it gracefully, and she had no problems doing it. And we're just so proud of you. I just want you to know that. And um, so the last, I don't know, Bill, how many minutes do we have? I can't see. Oh, we've got 15 minutes. Is there something you want to talk about? Did we miss something in your bio? Let me look here. All right. Uh, are you drinking any more today? Did you have you stopped drinking? No. I I have stopped drinking. It's been since 2018. Good, good girl. And yeah. uh, I'm proud of you for that too, because it doesn't. It, look, I started drinking when I was 13, and I quit in 1981, only because my fingers were swelling and my kidneys were pounding. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't mm-hmm. fun anymore. <laughs> okay. So I I stopped that. And uh, and I learned along the way, it takes time for your mind to, you know, get out of that fog that we put ourselves into, that, um, you know, you go to bed, you wake up the next morning, and, this, and the problem's still going to be there. You're trying to run away from. So it's important mm-hmm. that we do face our issues, that we do get the help that we need, okay, and and go from there, because if we don't, we're going to stay in that rut we were talking about way in the beginning of when you started to tell your story, you know. And you know what? I drank for many, many years. I know that. Um, Many of us did. Hey, I took my first sip of booze when I was four. (laughs) I wasn't supposed to. I was at a party. (laughs) Gee, I wonder what this tastes like. I went, um, oh, God. I, I came from such a wealthy family. We had maids and all this other stuff in this other house, my grandparents' house. And, um, my grandfather was mayor of Westwood, New Jersey. They moved from New York to New Jersey. That's what they did. But So he, they would have these wonderful, magnificent parties. And um, all of a sudden they announced, I'm going to tell you the story quick because it's funny. All of a sudden they announced that, um, you know, that the band was there and the music was going to start and all this other stuff. So leave the table and come into, they called it in those days, the ballroom, okay? hoity-toity. Okay, so people went in, and the women were dressed in these beautiful gowns that went down to the floor, and the hair was so, you know, beautiful, and then the men were in such a way, you know, everybody was all dressed up. Well, I started to go from drink to drink. No one's watching me, right? No one ever watched me, even at that young age. So I'm going around from, let me taste this one. Hmm, not like that. Let me go to this one. I don't know how many drinks I tasted, okay? But I decided to go into the ballroom and see what was going on. So I went into the ballroom, and the women were all turning around. They're being turned around by their husbands, their boyfriends, whatever. They were dancing. They were having a wonderful time. So I spotted my mother 
And I say, hey, Marley, look what I can do. Look what I can do. I went in, I started to turn around, too, and I barfed all over the floor. And I remember mm. this one lady, had <laughs> she had on this long pink gown. Yeah, I barfed on her gown, too. Yeah. So that was my first taste of alcohol was at four. And, um, oh, my God, my mother got me out of there so fast. I, I, she was just so embarrassed. And I don't blame her for being embarrassed. So, you know, kids, you know, if you don't watch them, they will t- they, they'll taste it. They'll taste it. You know, you have to watch your kids. And some of us are alcoholics, and none of us are not. It's just the way it is. Right. My brother's not I was hit by a car when I was 15 from... I was out drinking, and I was on the side of the road, and a car came up and hit me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, at that point, I mean, the doctor said, she's, you're lucky to my mom. You're lucky she's even alive right now. And if she hadn't been drunk, she probably wouldn't be. And I just, you know, I think to this day, I think, oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, and that was like around the time that my dad went to jail. And I just... You know, I'm, God, I'm around for something. I don't know what it is yet, but that's twice now you've saved me, so <laughs> we'll hang in there and see what it is. Well, you're you're saved because you're meant to help other people. That's what we do, okay? And we all have our own ways. There's no set ways of doing it, you know. And and, and um, they talk about the homeless. Well, there, there are bad people out on the streets. They absolutely are. And then you have those that got, I don't know, they're vets and they're on the street. Shame on us having vets on the street. That's crazy. Um, and, and, and there's other people that had maybe bad luck. So it's not just the drug addicts and all that. It's other things. It's a, uh, they all wear different hats, okay? And, mm-hmm. But they all, many of them, came from backgrounds like we did. Many of them. Mm-hmm. And many of the places I worked at, backgrounds like we did. Many of us. You see, I went and did, I kept little uh, notepads, and I, I wrote down what I saw and what I learned. And, you know, how many people were abused at home. Or it doesn't have to be at home. It could be out on the street. Just simply sexually, physically, mentally, emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens so often. We've spoken many times on this show that people end up in jail. Um, a lot of times, I'm not standing up for what they did, believe me. But a lot of times they came from backgrounds, you know, where the environment was very bad. And that's what happens. First they end up in juvie, where I used to work, and then they end up in prison. You know, if they don't get the help that they need. Right. And if they, too, don't go for help. You see, this is where we're different. All of us want to be productive, you know, people. All of us want to be the best that we can be by getting the help that we need. And we all know what that help is. You don't have to talk about it. And, you know, we know who we are. And um, today, um, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, oh, my God, 40 years ago. That's the end. I won't go any further than that, okay? But, yeah, I, I was a roughneck. I was a roughneck. But you see, that was my way of defense. Now, I don't know how Lori, you know, fought things off, but that was my way of defense by being a roughneck, you know. That's just the way it was. And then today I don't have to do that anymore. I'm just myself. And either you like me or you don't like me. 
like me, like me, whatever. And I really don't care. I've gotten to the point in my life where um, I'm so comfortable with myself. Like Bill talks about comfortable in your own skin, all right? I think that's an AA thing also, too. They speak about that. Well, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. But it took a long time to get there, okay? It doesn't happen overnight. But people can and do heal. Now I'm going to leave the last few minutes up to you, okay? Something that maybe you want to talk about or you can um, you know, talk to the people about who are listening, giving them hope. I can only say that in 2018, when I found myself in the hospital, um, in you know, I was in the emergency room. I was throwing up blood um, from overdosing. And from that point on, um, that's when my mom came up, and she actually touched me. I couldn't remember my mom ever. I know she had to have when I was younger, but I don't remember that. And she touched my face, and she looked right at me, and she said, please get help. Please get help this time. And um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to take this seriously. I I don't want to live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did. And a lot of things, you know, I did CBT. Um, that was huge for me because in my mind, everyone always talked about was talking about me. Everyone hated me. Everyone was mad at me all the time which I still deal with sometimes. I mean, we're never, we're not perfect. And uh, I think there's a part in my book where I just say, you know, we see other people who hadn't been abused and how they live. And unfortunately, we probably will never, no matter how much help we get, we're probably never going to be that free to not have some of the feelings that we have. Um, So... But I did, you know, I I worked through, I used CBT, mindfulness, journaling, um, to do all that, just to continue my healing. I started blogging. I have a website. Um, I have you guys on there under resources, um, NASCA. And, you know, I just really want, I want people to know that there's hope and that they they can start healing. And they can start feeling better. And it's it's hard. It's hard to take the first step. I feel when I see someone else who, who goes through what I've gone through and, and they're just like in the beginning trying to figure it out, I, it just hurts me. It pains me because I know I know what they're going through. I, you know, oh, it's just yuck. You feel like yuck for so long until you can finally start healing from some of it. And, you know, that's just what I hope. In my life, anybody I come into contact with, if they've been through it, if there's anything I can say or do to help them, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I just hope everyone like you and Lori and Bill and everyone else that's listening, you know, that you just continue you know, down the path of having some hope. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. Yeah. What do you say? I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead, boss. I was going to say, we're not going anywhere. I I wanted to say to her that we're not going anywhere. We'll be here uh, for you and for others who are maybe listening right now. 
because we have no plans to stop doing this uh, ever. You know, I mean, we're just going to keep going. And we need some volunteers sometimes to help us do it. But, uh, you know, but other than that, there's no reason we can't do it for a long, 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 long time. So keep coming back as it works. Yeah, yeah that's true. And, but, but, you know, let me let me say something to you, Sandra. You know, um, you did a fine job tonight. You and like Lori said, you're very well together. Okay, like you're further along, I think, than you realize. And there's no reason why you shouldn't even. You're a NASCA member. You've been on once before. Mm-hmm. So you know, always feel free Monday through Friday. Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays we have our guests, right? And on Tuesdays and mm-hmm. Thursdays, and you have. Um, people like uh, coaches and, and counselors and, and uh, therapists and whomever. And we do it best we can. And it's on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So there's always a slot, you know, that's filled. And and you should come on more. You should come more on. And, and I say that to Lori also because she does such a fine job. You know, you really do. Oh, thank you so, so much. Yeah, she does, Lori. <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah, she does. And and but so do you though, Sandra, okay? So don't feel like, okay, I went on tonight and I'm glad I went on tonight. I hope you're glad. And and um that then have it be the end of it, okay? Because you just by your own experiences you can already start helping people, you bet. You keep your chin up, okay, and, and uh, when you're ready let us know when you finish your book, okay? Definitely. I so appreciate okay. you guys having me on. Well, we're delighted that you came on. And um, so I have to end the show now because I got that cue in my ear. So we had a very good show tonight. I thank you for being such a good guest. And, uh, Lori, I'll talk to you during the week. And, Sandra, I hope to talk to you during the week, too. You never know. She might come on. And, Bill, I'll talk to you later. There you go. Okay. All right. Good night. Yes. God bless. And uh, we'll be back on Monday then. Okay, good night now, everybody. Good night. Good night, honey. Good night, everybody. You are disgusting. After all that you've done. Love Talk Radio.